Welcome to WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. You are listening to Leadership Matters. I'm Tim Fredericks, your host, along with my co-host, Fran Gavin. Good evening, Tim. How are you, Fran? It's another another beautiful evening, beautiful cold evening in March, and uh, uh, we're very fortunate in the uh, studio this evening to have with us uh, uh, Nicole Shanklin, uh, a doctoral student here at Centenary University, and this will be another show that is uh, curated by um, our, our doctoral students. So without further ado, we have three very special guests uh, uh, that are joining Nicole tonight. Uh, and without further ado, I will turn it over to Nicole for the introduction. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Nicole Shanklin. I am, as he mentioned, a doctoral student at Centenary University. Um, just that's one of my spare things I do um, uh, for my uh, occupation. I work in Belleville as a director of elementary education. This year, I'm also serving as a principal of a remote school, and I am an ESL coordinator, so I wear multiple hats. Um, I'm very excited because we have the opportunity, or I have the opportunity, to introduce three different professional colleagues who bring a wealth of knowledge to the educational field and who have inspired me throughout various points in my career. Although my three guests are from different districts with different leadership backgrounds, I chose them because for me, they represent what our segment will focus on tonight, which is educational leaders as coaches. Before we delve into the many facets of what it means to view educational leaders as coaches, I thought I'd begin by sharing how I first met my guests and give them the opportunity to briefly introduce themselves. So I'm actually going to begin by introducing them in chronological order of when I met them. Um, so first, I'm going to begin with Nicole Ferlis. Uh, she is a supervisor of curriculum and instruction currently in Englewood Cliffs. We actually met in graduate school. Um, at the time, we were both pursuing our Master of Educational Leadership. We realized we had a lot of the similar philosophies and goals. We ended up becoming critical friends through that program. And to this day, we still like to bounce ideas off of each other. So I think there's definitely something to be said for surrounding yourself with visionary leaders. So, um, Nicole, welcome. And if you'd like to just say a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm so excited to be included. And um, unofficially, I want to tell you officially that, you know, knowing you for the past six years has been um, not only a friendship, but a, a professional collegial relationship. And I think you nailed it when you said we still keep in touch with one another. And I value your leadership and perspective. So thanks for including me. And I'm always happy to help. So never hesitate to reach out. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, my next guest, I have Tom Marshall. Um, he also wears multiple hats, and I'm sure I'm not going to say every single one, but the, the two I am going to say is he is an elementary principal currently in Paramus, and he is an author, and I, I know he's done a lot of other things, which I'll let him introduce, but about, I want to say, I don't know exactly, about six and a half years ago, um, when I landed my first leadership position as a K-12 supervisor of instruction, I knew I had my work cut out for me. Um, one of our major initiatives at the elementary level was to begin implementing the Reader's Writers Workshop. And not only did I want to fully immerse myself at the elementary level, but I wanted to make sure our elementary principals understood our vision as well. So I, I started asking around, I started asking people, you know, who should I go to for help? And literally, I, I can't tell you, it must have been five, six 
people who didn't even know each other kept saying, Tom Marshall, you got to talk to Tom Marshall. So I was thinking, you know, who is this guy? I've got to check him out. Um, so he, I, I know he's a leader in the educational field and he's an inspiration to many. So I knew I had to get him um, to, to speak about this topic. So thank you, Tom, for being here. And if you want to say all the things I, I definitely missed because you, you are a, a master of many things. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm the principal at Stony Lane Elementary School in Paramus, and um, I am the author of a book called Reclaiming the Principalship, Instructional Leadership Strategies to Engage Your School Community and Focus on Learning. It's really a book that is meant to be um, a guide for principals on how to have that instructional lens to their work, no matter what they're doing. And um, it's like the best part of being a principal is is when you can guide the learning and build some excitement around it um, for your students and for your teachers, you ultimately get some of that excitement back yourself. So it's it's really the best part. Um, part of what I also do is I, I lead lots of PD, a lot around the area of literacy, but in other areas too. I have a coaching cohort that I lead. Um, we When we're not in the middle of a pandemic, we meet once a month um, and there's about 75 coaches in that. and. Um, and then I also have a network for principals and supervisors, which are, which is where I met you, Nicole. Um, and we have about 225 principals from around the state that um, we get together five times a year, you know, and we don't have 200 at each meeting. We have on a good day, we have about 30. Um, and we go into different schools and different districts and we go in classrooms and we teach kids and we study how to supervise and support teachers in, in best practices, particularly in the area of literacy. I'm excited to have you here. My third and final guest is Elaine Mendez. She is currently a vice principal in Newark. About two and a half years ago, so uh, the my my newest person that I've met um, on this panel, um, I took a position as director of elementary education in Belleville, as I mentioned before, uh, which is my current district. And at the time, Elaine was one of our instructional coaches. So uh, when I had joined the district, uh, kind of similar to, to Tom, um, I needed to kind of know the ropes, learn um, the new programs that were, were offered in Belleville, get to kind of get a, a flavor of the community. And so when I was asking, you know, aside from the administrators, who do I need to get to know? Elaine Mendez's name kept coming up, and I actually reached out to her before I even officially started in the district. Um, so she she was a lifesaver for me. Um, and even though we were sad to see her leave, I'm I'm very very happy, and I know she's doing great things in Newark. So thank you, Elaine, for being here. And if you want to uh, tell us how tell us how Newark is doing and how you're doing as a vice principal. Hi, everyone. First of all, I just want to say how excited and humbled I am to be among the likes of such great leaders tonight. I'm hearing all of your bios and interests, and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm just starting out, as Nicole said. Um, but I am very passionate about leadership, instructional coaching within the leadership framework, and I'm excited to see where this conversation is going. Currently in Newark, I am implementing some of the strategies that I've learn through my own personal research and again through my own personal beliefs and I'll be sharing some of those tidbits later as part of the discussion. Um, again, thank you Nicole for inviting me. I am ready to learn because I'm definitely going to be learning a lot from my fellow colleagues in this call. Thank you so much, Elaine. And yes, I, I wanted to make sure that I had um, different types of leaders as well. Uh, as, as you've heard, I have a supervisor, a principal, and a vice principal on this, um, 
on this show because I think that depending on the role, um, we have similarities. And I think a lot of us share similar philosophies, which is why I had us all on this, this call. But um, I also think that there are some differences in the positions, and I thought it would be interesting to have those different perspectives. Um, so without further ado, let me get into some of the questions, the meat of our conversation. Um, and I'm going to begin with uh, the question, what is your why and what led you to your current role? So essentially, why do you do what you do? What makes you happy to get up in the morning to do your job? Um, and I guess we'll begin, uh, I'll try to mix it up, but we'll start with the same order. So Nicole, if you want to begin. Sure. So I guess uh, I'll take it way back. I was always torn between becoming a teacher or becoming a lawyer. So when I explored classes with both in college, I felt that teaching classes just spoke to my heart. And um, ever since I entered the field, as uh, crazy as certain days can be, especially during with this pandemic, it just never feels like work. It feels like something I was naturally meant to get up and go and do every day. So I love this profession. I'm honored to be in it. And it just speaks to my heart. Nicole, that's interesting. I actually didn't know you were interested in becoming a lawyer. I, for a, a brief second, considered that as well. And then immediately changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It was immediate. So, so yes, uh, education has always been my calling. But for a, a brief second, I did think about something else. Um, so, so that's interesting. Like-minded as well. Um, thank you. Uh, and Tom, what what is your why? What what helps you get up in the morning every day and do what you do? Well, I always, um, you know, when I was a kid, I cried when I was in elementary school. I cried all through elementary school, and um, I didn't want to go to school and and then um, later on in high school, when I started working with kids um, and I decided I wanted to be a teacher, I made a decision that I was going to be the kind of teacher that was going to make kids not cry, um, that would make them love learning and love going to school. And, um, and I started my career out teaching third grade. And, um, and then I, I went back for my master's degree um, and I uh, went to teacher's college and I got assigned Lucy Calkins as my advisor. And... Um, and so I started getting to know her and she started getting to know me. And, um, and then one day she offered me a, a position. And so I went and worked for her for four years and um, I got to see a whole different side of education um, in teaching teachers. And um, the thing that, that I realized then is, you know, as a classroom teacher, cause I thought I would be a classroom teacher forever. Um, but as a classroom teacher, I help, you know, 20 something kids a year. And in this position, I was helping thousands of kids a year and around the country. And um, so there was this whole other type of satisfaction that came from that. Um, but as I got older and I got married and we started having kids, this flying around the country thing was a little bit busy. busy. And so, um, so I, you know, knew that I needed to settle down someplace in one district and I needed to support a family. So. Um, and that would not be enough to make me want to be a principal. But um, but having seen so many amazing principals through my work at Teachers College, principals around the country that were inspiring their teachers and their students and, and creating environments where really awesome learning could happen, I knew that that was the kind of um, principal that I wanted to be. You know, Roland Barth, who has written lots of great books on instructional leadership. He was an instructional leader back in the eighties before there was such a thing. And he coined the phrase called head learner. And, um, and he describes that that's what a really good principal is, is the head learner of a school. 
and even on my door it, it you know where it has my name it doesn't say principal it says head learner because um it helps it helps you to stay humble to know that you're you're the one that's kind of in charge of learning but you're learning too and um i knew that that was something i could live with i didn't want to be an administrator and i always correct people when they say oh you're an administrator and i tell them no i'm 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 a leader cuz an administrator is someone who enacts someone else's vision um and a leader is someone who um, authors a vision together with others and helps them um, create it together. And I think that's such the better way to look at this, isn't it? So anyway, that's kind of what motivates me to to do what I do. So I'm jotting things down because you gave me a, a, a so many different things. I, I loved that idea of the, the head learner of the school. Um, I agree. The word administrator, although I'm guilty of definitely using it, um, it you, you know, this idea of being a leader, um, a lot of times we think of administrators and all of those managerial uh, aspects, which I'm definitely going to get to um, later on in the segment. Um, and this idea that you don't want to make kids cry. I know that sounds silly, but especially at the elementary level, we want kids to come to school. We want them to to love school, we want them to learn, um, we want them to enjoy everything. So I, I love all those ideas. I love the idea of being inspirational. Um, and I think I think your district is definitely lucky to have you. So thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, and Elaine, what what is your why and, and how how did you um, get where you are today? Um, so my why is very similar to what was already mentioned. Um, I never imagined that I was going to turn into an administrator. In fact, I waited to the very last minute to, you know, take the test and actually be certified because I never thought I would want to be. I wanted to be in the classroom forever. But when I stepped outside of the classroom and into a coaching role, I realized the impact that I was having, not just on the students within my four walls, but students across different schools, um, because I was um, an elementary coach for the seven elementary schools in Belleville. And so when I started to see the impact that I was having in different classrooms, different teachers, different students, I realized that I could do more. And I've always thought, thought of myself kind of like a, an underdog. Um, I had to fight through a lot of deficit views that certain people had of me. And so my role as a lead learner, and I love that you said head, le head learner. Um, I consider myself a lead learner. That's usually the hashtag that I use. My role as a lead learner is really to promote the idea that every child can Given the circumstances, um, every child can thrive. And so as kind of like the underdog, like I said, I had several difficulties growing up. And my goal, my why, my reason is to provide inner city kids with the hope, you know, hope that's needed for them to see that they can actually do something, become someone in their life. And so I also believe in the whole idea that representation matters. And me as a female, you know, person of color, curly, kinky, coily hair, um, there's a lot that I stand for. And so I, I value what I believe in and I promote wholeheartedly that anything is possible as long as you try. And so again, I have that underdog, you know, always striving mentality. And that's my why, to help students see that they can achieve no matter what. Thank you so much, Elaine. And having worked with you, um, you have that bubbly personality um, that I, I know that your district is, is so lucky to have and, and we're definitely missing. Um, I also, you know, 
with social media, I'm able to follow some of the things that you post um, for your district. And you really embody a lot of the things that we wish to see in our vice principals and our principals. Um, this idea of you can you can dress up, you can be fun, you can participate in the activities that the kids are participating in. All of those things are amazing. Um, and I also, you know, I one of the reasons that I brought the three of you together as well is because you all have different um, beliefs and and are focused on our elementary world. And, and I think that, that it's amazing that you can bring those smiles and that inspiration to, um, communities in various parts of New Jersey. Um, so I, I do appreciate all of you. Um, and, uh, and I think I think we're in for for the rest of the segments to have to have a great conversation. So thank you. Nicole, could I jump in for a second? Sure. I, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, uh, um, uh, more than one of your guests wanted to be a or thought to be a lawyer at some point, and then um, uh, chose education. Uh, there seems to be some type of like uh, nexus between the the two, don't you think? I'm going to ask my co I'm going to ask my co-host that. Too. <laughs> I you know it's it's interesting that you bring that up because if you had asked me that a couple of years ago, I would have said probably not. Um, but I I think that there's some there are a lot of pieces of um, being a leader that you do have to understand the ins and outs of of laws essentially and policies and all of those different aspects well uh with, with that uh coda at the end we'll uh we'll, we'll take a quick break uh you're listening to leadership matters on wnti.org the voice of centenary university and we're back on leadership matters on wnti.org the voice of centenary university Again, this evening, we have very special guests in our studio, uh, and the show is being curated by doctoral student uh, Nicole Shanklin. So, Nicole, um, let's continue these conversations. So, uh, the next question I wanted to ask is, what type of leader do you see yourself as and why? And has your type of leadership evolved over time? Um, since we have three different types of leaders with us tonight, um, I also want you to consider, do you think the style of leadership matters depending on your role? Um, so I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Um, let's begin with Tom. So what type of leader do you see yourself as and has it evolved over time? Well, um, I see myself, I, you know, when you think about what a principle is, right, the word principle actually is not a noun. The word principal is an adjective because the original title of this position was principal teacher. And it was like the, this was a hundred years ago, it was the head teacher of the school. And, um, and they taught and they were, you know, either from a rich family or, or they were there for the longest. And, and so, but they, they, they kept that teacher part in there. And then as education evolved over the 20th century, the, um, the the word teacher was dropped from the role and a lot of the teaching responsibilities also disappeared. And I try to always remember that I'm the kind of principal who's an adjective, right? I'm, I try to be the principal teacher and I try to make sure that I get in classrooms, you know, um, not, you know, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, you know, I, I go into like all my classrooms all day, every day I try and I make sure that I'm connecting with kids and I'm trying some teaching out and I'm, um, 
I'm staying fresh with my practice there. And I feel like um, that's something that I've learned to value. And I always knew that I valued it, but, but I, I definitely make time for that every day. Um, you know, getting, getting in there and trying to work with kids and trying to help them discover something and maybe helping teachers discover something too. I love that. And actually, in my previous role um, as a supervisor, I was still teaching two classes. And I think that that was the best thing that could have happened Mm -hmm. for me, because I was in that like middle role where I I got to kind of see the other uh, the other side. I'm using air quotes um, that some people call it, but I was still had one foot in the classroom. And that's something that I wholeheartedly agree with is that you can't forget that piece in order to have that, you know. When you're the principal of a school, you know, you're, you're the one that kind of sets the tone, you're the leader of the community. And, um, and whatever you value gets stronger in your school. And so if you value learning, then learning gets stronger in your school. And, and so I feel like it's so important for me to, for me to do that, you know, for me to get out there and be an agent of learning. um, Because then that will get stronger for the students and for the teachers in the school. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, Elaine, what, what type of leader do you see yourself as? And has it, I know your leadership role is the newest out of all three, but even if you want to consider your unofficial leadership status as an instructional coach. Um, so I've thought a lot about this question, especially since I started. And um, I wanted to frame it around what exactly I wanted to be like. And so um, the term instructional leader is always thrown around, but I, I take that to heart. And by being an instructional leader, I am always present in classrooms, even right now um, during the pandemic. I make sure that I model the, what I expect my teachers to do. So you can find me reading aloud to students. You can find me engaged in conversation. There are students that actually request just to have a meeting, just to chat with me because they miss talking to me. And so that makes me very proud because I like to lead by example. And as I stated before, my goal is to show um, my students, the students that I serve, that they can do all of the things that they set their mind to. And part of that is listening to them and being there for them. And so I strive not only to be there for my students, but also to be there for my staff. And so as an instructional leader, I have put into place a lot of programs such as book studies with my teachers. I am the new kid on the block, um, but they are learning. They're slowly learning that I I talk the talk and I walk the walk. And so um, I take pride in the fact that they understand that I'm going to get my hands dirty along with them. I mean, I have other responsibilities and I do need to prioritize. So there are times where I have to say, no, I can't right now, but I do make an effort to be there for my team and be there for my students every single day as much as I can, because I do believe that as the leader, um, my role is to lead by example. You know, leadership matters. Instructional leadership matters. You made some great points there. Uh, First of all, um, I also love leading by example. I love that phrase. So uh, we both both go by that. Um, So thank you so much. And um, I I, I think you made some valid points. And also leadership does matter. And that's the name of our show. So that's perfect. Um, And and Nicole, uh, what what type of uh, leader do you see yourself as? I 
see myself as a leader who's really focused on human relationships and building relationships. And at the same time, I have a very structural component to me. That could be the former middle school math teacher in me. But I'm always looking at my tasks and the charge of education almost as a gigantic puzzle. And what pieces can we match up to make this picture beautiful for everybody? So although my focus is building relationships, I'm also thinking at the same time, well, how can this puzzle piece support this puzzle piece? Or how can this person's personal expertise support this person? Or how can these two organizations complement one another? So a little bit of human resources, a little bit of strategy, and you get a whole lot of Nicole. That's great. And, you know, it's, it's important to realize that we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses and finding those people who, as you said, complements uh, one another and, you know, making sure that you bring those people onto your team so that there aren't any gaps or weaknesses. I think that that's, that's a great idea. So thank you so much. Um, I, I wanted to um, talk about uh, because we probably have some people listening who are aspiring at, uh, I'm not going to use the word administrator because now Tom's got me thinking about that word and, and saying leader instead, um, but we have some aspiring leaders. So what is something you wish you know, knew going into a leadership role um, before you were in a leadership role? It could be good or bad, I, I, you know, just something that you didn't know that you wish you knew. Um, and once again, I'm going to mix it up. So we're going to begin with Elaine. Interesting question. Um, so I guess for me, um, the biggest thing or the biggest change rather, um, and I wish somebody would have sat me down and really, you know, went to town and explained to me X, Y, and C, and this is going to happen, is how to deal um, with difficult conversations with teachers. Because I've had my share of difficult conversations. And, you know, when the tears come out, like, you feel bad. You really do. But at the same time, you have to be the leader that you need to be and call things to their attention and, you know, reference things that need to be done um but you know you you tend to to be empathetic and and feel bad you know and that whole sense of empathy overwhelmingly consuming you um as the new administrator was something that i didn't think about and so i i'm i'm like an empath okay i like feel for other people and so that was really my struggle at the beginning that i just felt i felt bad i felt bad telling people certain things and you know that's something that I quickly got over but nobody mentioned that to me and it was a struggle so I wish you know anybody that's aspiring to be in a position of leadership that is you know an empath like myself and shows a lot of empathy that's something that they're going to have to work through because as as much as we want to be empathetic there are certain circumstances where you have to be a leader and you have to put your feelings aside and that was very hard for me because as you know I am a people person you know and and I just generally felt bad and and how did you if you don't mind me asking a follow-up question how did you work on, you know, making that not be the center of your feelings in terms of feeling bad? How did you kind of get past that? Well, I realized that I have a job to do and I kept my why at the forefront, which is always to children. And so if it's something that needed to be said because it was not benefiting the children, 
I, I realized that I needed to put, you know, my feeling bad about, you know, the situation aside and really address the issue. How are we meeting the needs of the student? Is the student's needs, you know, the interest at heart? Are, are you paying attention to what is being done for the student? So once I started to focus on the children um, and what's the impact that teachers are having on the children, I quickly um, was able to put those feelings aside. And again, I, I, I really hung to a lot of my my friends um because outside of work obviously because they supported me in not feeling bad over situations that were out of my control and just keeping my focus my why the students the reason i'm there it's for them um that really helped a lot thank you so much elaine for that um nicole what is something you wish you knew before you went into your leadership role well, I can almost guarantee you somebody probably said it to me and I didn't process it fully, but just the fact that as a leader, perception is reality. Reality is not reality. How people perceive situations is reality, and that is your responsibility as a leader to make sure that that perception is the perception that you're intending it to be. So just being really mindful of of how I'm perceived by others or how a situation is perceived by others and not in like a manipulative or, you know, kind of um, strategic kind of way, but just out of like genuine awareness. From my perspective, the situation looks like X, Y, and Z. However, in listening to somebody else's perspective on it, I can see how it's perceived as A, B, and C. So now how do we address this moving forward, knowing there's kind of two perceptions that, you know, operating at the same time here. Very, very tough for me, but um, always working on it. And how do you, I guess, weigh in on how people perceive you or perceive your actions? Because that is difficult. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think it starts with really listening and kind of hearing what that person has to say and just reminding them or making them very, making it very clear to them that you understand, so that might be repeating. I, I often say to my teachers, okay, tell me if I have this situation correct, or okay, tell me if I've captured what you said, or okay, it sounds like what you're saying is, uh, tell me if I've gone off base and almost releasing the control or the power back to them. So they could say, no, 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 Nicole, that that you've got part of it, but let, let me go back and give you more detail on this element. So I think it really starts with listening, uh, active listening, and assuring the other party that you've done that active listening by providing the evidence to them. Thank you. And, and I think that, that I, it's a recurring theme. I've heard this idea of listening and active listening um, is, is, is very important as a, as a leader. So thank you. All right. Last but not least, Tom, what do you wish you knew or what would you tell people who are aspiring? You know, I think, I think one of the things that I think has just uh, crystallized for me recently is meet people where they are, right? Um, and and start working with them there. And like sometimes that's about their perception, kind of like Nicole was just talking about. Um, you know, people have their own fixed ideas about how things are, and you have to meet them where they are in order to take them to a better place. Um, that's also about teachers' professional practices and the way that they teach something. You know, I can pound them over the head with like, teach teach this reading lesson this way, teach this math lesson this way. And if they're not really ready to hear it, um, I have to be very nurturing with them on it. You know, I have to kind of coach them through that um, because 
they have to be able to understand why something happens. My wife was a business major. And so she just doesn't get that. Like she says, well, you're the boss. You can just tell them to do it and they have to do it. And, and, and it's, it's this sort of weird thing in teaching, isn't it? Because um, it sounds logical, right? If the boss tells you to do something, you do it, you know, but, and that's true for certain types of work, but teaching is really a calling. And if you don't have that why um, of, of why you do something, um, you really aren't going to do it. Now I could go in there and tell the teacher, you know, you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way. And with certain things you have to, like if they're blocking a fire exit, you say, no, 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 we, we can't block the fire exit. Move that now. Right. I don't need the buy-in. I just need them to comply. Right. Um, but, but if it's something about the way they teach a subject or the way they um, talk to children, right. I really have to kind of lead them there right? Otherwise, they're just going to do what I want to see when I'm there and then do other things when I'm not there. They just learn to hide it. So it's really important that we kind of lead teachers into, um, into better practices by coaching them through it. And part of that always needs to be why we do it. I love that you brought this, that idea of compliance versus kind of following that vision. I'm just thinking of the the times where even when I was a teacher, you know, are we doing this because we really value it or and we believe in it? Or are we doing this because it's a checkbox or compliance? And I think when your teachers see the vision and understand it exactly as you were saying, they won't just do it, but they'll see the meaning behind it. Um, and I think that 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 is a beautiful thing, but it's also a very difficult thing to be yeah. able to lead with that vision. It takes a long time. You have to be patient. And people who think school is a business model, they don't get that. And um, and that's why you see people going through initiative overload because oh, we tried this for six months and it didn't work, so we have to change now. You know, and and really teaching and learning does not work that way. And we just have to keep telling people that school is different. And, you know, I don't pretend to know about your job as a financial planner. Please don't pretend to know about my job as a teacher. So that's, that's just such an important part of, of what we do. And, and yes, I agree. And, and thinking about it, um, I, I have had talks and conversations with people in the business world and not to say that I you can't learn something from them because I learn something from everybody that I talk to but education is a is a different animal and we need to be aware of how we you know portray things because these things that we these conversations that we have with staff members and our teachers um they trickle down to the students as well. And that's kind of something I want to talk about in our next segment when we talk about this idea of principals and other types of leaders being these coaches. And so I'm really excited to talk about that in our final segment. Well, so uh, before we wrap up the segment, um, I, I did want to mention something, Tom. I, you, I really liked how you uh, uh, kind of place the, uh, the the leader in, in, in the position vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the faculty. I, I came to teaching late in life, and uh, my perception always was that the principal was just together, and we just had different tasks. And uh, so I like how you, you phrased that. Thank you. 
All right. So you're listening to Leadership Matters with our uh, three very special guests, Tom Marshall, Nicole Ferlis, and uh, uh, Elaine Mendez. So uh, we'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. And we're back. Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. This evening, once again, uh, the show is being curated by one of our doctoral students here at Centenary University, Nicole Shanklin, and uh, it's been a fascinating discussion so far on the dynamic of, uh, of leadership uh, from the perspective of three very dynamic leaders, uh, actually four dynamic leaders, including Nicole, that we have uh, uh, in the studio tonight. So, Nicole, carry on. Thank you, Dr. Frederick. So um, I wanted to begin b uh, by asking Tom a question. Um, he has a has published a book called Reclaiming the Principalship. And specifically in chapter two, he talks about coaching teachers to improve student learning. So I was wondering, Tom, if you could give us some insight or an example of how you've done this with your own staff. Sure. You know, when when I um when I started being principal. I, you know, I, I, as I said, I was, I had worked at teacher's college and then I went back to the classroom for a couple of years and, and, um, and I remember saying to the teachers at my first faculty meeting, you know, I'm fresh out of the classroom and I really miss working with kids. So I need to come into your classrooms and work with kids. And it sort of um, got some buy-in, you know, the teachers were like, that's pretty cool, you know, and, um, and, and I remember going into classrooms and teaching lessons but before I started, I would say to the teacher, hey, I'm going to teach this writing lesson. Can you give me some feedback? And, and the teacher was like, what? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, give me some feedback. Because so often, like, they're used to just getting feedback from the principal that here I was asking them to give me feedback. And maybe they were afraid to, you know, let loose on, like, how bad it might have been. But, um, um, but it, was, it was a nice way to kind of get them to see me in that role, right? And then later on, I formalized that and we broke the year up into um, cycles um, of six weeks. And, um, and so for six weeks, um, I would be coaching teachers. We have a literacy coach in my school too. And, um, and so basically for each of these cycles, um, my coach Jamie would be working with two teachers and I would be working with one. And so what a coaching cycle looks like is in the beginning, um, I'll meet with the teacher to set some goals. Like, what is it that you want to work on? And, you know, sometimes it's a newer teacher. And so we need to work on newer teacher issues. We need to work on how you run the classroom. We need to work on curriculum, you know, getting to know how reading and writing workshop work, right? Um, sometimes if it's a more experienced teacher, um, it's about exploring something new that that just intrigues them, right? Um, because coaching, like, it, sometimes people think coaching is for the weak teacher or coaching is for the new teacher, but really coaching is for everyone. And because that's the kind of school we are, we're all learning. And so, um, and, and word started getting out, you know, cause teachers, teachers talk. <laughs> and so, um, and it was a positive experience for teachers and it got to be by the halfway through the first year, um, I was doing this with all the classroom teachers and then my speech therapist and my ESL teacher and some of these other teachers would be like, hey, how do I get on that schedule? Like they wanted to get coached. And it was such an amazing feeling. Um, also, um, 
as we were doing that, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was a lot of fun. And, and one of the ripple effects of it was that I couldn't walk down the hallway without a teacher stopping me and saying, Hey, um, here's a piece of writing that a student just did. Take a look at it. Isn't this cool? I'm so proud of all the growth that she's made, you know, or um, talking about just, you know, anything about kids learning. And it was like, really, it was, it was so nice to have those conversations with the teachers that we were having these collegial conversations. It just kind of changed the way that our school felt, you know, because um, here we were like talking about things that mattered and the things that we really cared about, you know, um, what else? Like the, uh, how does that tie in with like my role as their evaluator? You know, um, in New Jersey, all public school teachers have to do something called the PDP professional development plan and, um, where they set learning goals for themselves. And so, um, what happens is in the beginning of the year, I do a lot of work with the teachers on, um, on setting those goals and trying to think of like, what is it that intrigues them as a teacher, you know, and it can be anything. And so um, some teachers like kind of went off on things like play or choice or um, enriching experiences in math, you know, um, writing to learn, like all different kinds of topics. And so we would put that in there and then I would build everything else around that. So I built the coaching around that. So if I was coaching that teacher, that was what our coaching cycle would focus on so that it was something that we could study together so that the teacher could get stronger. And then um, I also try to base all my observations around that, on my walkthroughs so that it feels important. So it's not like, you know, oh no, I have an observation. What am I going to do? What kind of show am I going to put together for the principal? No, it's all about stuff that matters, right? So if the teacher's studying engagement, then that's the lens of the observation and all of a sudden, like they're excited to do it. It's well, they're, I don't know that they're excited to have an observation, <laughs> but like it, it just feels more important, and it's not as anxiety-provoking, I think, um, as as the traditional observation of like, you know, uh, he's coming in and he's going to write down everything I do. You know, like it feels more important, and I think that that also changes the the whole feeling of the school, and and frankly, that's one of the things I'm proudest of. I I have so many things to say. I I I don't even know. Let's see if I can remember all of them. I love that you said um, lots of fun when talking about observations and seeing teachers. I think for a lot of people, that's not how they would describe that experience. Um, I also loved that you said the way your school felt, the school climate. I think that that means so much. I actually took um, a, a previous class where they said, this was pre-COVID by the way, but they said, go into other buildings outside of your school, stand in the you know main entryway of the building for 30 seconds, not even five seconds, and you can immediately understand what the school climate is just by everything that you see, everything that you hear, the way it feels when you walk in, I also love that you talked about that you, everything focuses on, some districts call it PGP, some call it PDP, but essentially your professional development plan and how the observation focuses on a specific lens like engagement. A lot of times we do these things isolated, like here, you're going to work on your PDP, then you're going to work on your observation, then you're going to work on this coaching cycle, but they're all interconnected. And if you see it that way, it's, it's much more impactful. Yeah, it's all relevant then, and and um, and 
it means more. It's not another hoop to jump through. Like we jump through so many hoops. That's why we're so exhausted. And, um, and we have to just make it all matter, make it all something that, that the teachers care about, and then they'll do better work with it. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, I know that's a difficult one to follow, um, but Elaine and Nicole, I would love to get your insight on that as well. Elaine, I know you're definitely familiar with coaching cycles because you did coaching cycles for us in Belleville. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about ways you've acted as a coach with your own staff? Sure. Um, so I have, um, I wear many hats, obviously, but one of my favorite hats is working with new teachers in our building. We have a very young staff and, um, the way in which I coach them is through, you know, you're familiar with coffee and conversations. So I set up a lot of coffee and conversations and I, it took me a while to get them to, to the level of trust where they realized that I wasn't setting up these sessions to, to get them in any way. I just wanted to engage them in conversation about how was it going? How were they doing with their, you know, classroom management or how were they doing with their lesson plans? What can I do to support them? And so after like the second meeting, they kind of got it, you know, um, and it's been working out really well. We, we have a mentor text, um, uh, Whitaker's What well, Great 17 Things That Great Teachers Do, and um, our new teachers read it, and we talk a lot about some of the things that Whitaker has suggested um, to be implemented as new teachers, and it has given me a new perspective. Um, not that I was never a new teacher, because obviously I was, but just a new perspective in how um, I should enact my level of support so that they feel supported, because just by slapping on a piece of paper, you know, I met with them at, you know, 3.30 and I told them X, Y, and C. It's not the same thing as supporting them. So, um, for example, one of my teachers was having concerns with, with how to in, in, how to enact her read aloud because she wasn't getting the level of engagement that she really wanted. And so I went in there and I did it with her and we talked about what she saw, what I saw, uh, what the kids were doing. Um, and it really solidified um, I guess our relationship and something that Nicole said before that it's about building relationships as well. And that's completely true, especially when it comes to coaching cycles. And so that's how I generally like to work because that's what I know. So we'll focus on, you know, whatever it is that they want, whatever they want. I never dictate a goal. It has to come from them, something that they want to see improvement on, something that they want me to focus on or what have you. And again, I always make sure that we begin with informal chats, nothing about evaluation. I even talk about evaluations, observations during my coffee and conversations, simply because, you know, it's not really the place. Unless they want to discuss it, I don't bring it up. Um, and so it has allowed me to kind of add another hat to my many hats and it's kind of like a mentor. I feel like I mentor seven brand new teachers, which is amazing because I'm watching them grow and I'm, you know, I feel like I definitely support them. And at the end, I always um, follow up with a survey. I like to know how I'm doing too. And, you know, I'm always learning, I'm not perfect. And so their feedback is really important to me as to where I take my future coffee. Um, um, 
um, in conversation sessions with them, uh, what texts we pick or what topics we discuss. Um, it's all about, you know, the cycle. There are some, some, some months where they want to focus on things that, you know, come about, for example, um, drills. That's something that new teachers didn't really um, know or understand well enough. And I took that for granted. I really, truly did. And it wasn't until I sat down with them um, and heard their, you know, um, concerns that I realized I really need to take a step further and really explain things to them. Um, not because they don't, they don't understand, but because this is new and they're nervous. And so, again, um, this has allowed me to really build relationships. So I, I wholeheartedly believe in the coaching cycles. We definitely implement coaching cycles, not in the way that I would as an instructional coach, but in my own way, with my own flair. Thank you so much, Elaine. I love the, the title, Coffee and Conversations. Um, and I love that you are continuing to have those book studies because we had some of those book studies in, in Belleville as well. So thank you so much. Um, and Nicole, um, what are some ways you've either coached your staff or, or worked to build up um, either new staff or, or, you know, veteran staff? When you first posed this question, Nicole, the first thing that came to my mind was differentiated supervision. You know, I wouldn't say that I have the same process or the same protocol to address every situation, um, but I will share with you a little snippet that is COVID related that I feel has been um, effective in um, assisting a, a teacher. So, you know, some of us, we have our, our, our concerns about this situation this year. It could be the content that we're teaching. It could be the technological um, aspects. It could be, you know, staffing. It could be a lot of things going on. This was a, a challenging year from many, many perspectives. So in discussing this with a teacher who had a lot of concerns about, you know, just her teaching assignment in general, we were really able to drill down what exactly their concerns were, the content and the technology. So together, we came up with a plan that would address making her feel more co comfortable with the content and the technology. And, and part of that plan actually includes a 20 minute meeting with me every single day. And we troubleshoot the anticipated lesson. And through our conversations over the past, this started in January, the past few weeks, it's been more about building this person's confidence and their willingness to experiment and try with something. So just knowing that this teacher, you know, is going from a position of, okay, I, I need a script, I need approval, I, I need permission, I need I need my administrator backing me up to more of a place of, I think I want to try X, Y, and Z, or um, I tried this other thing. I'm not really sure. Could we talk about it together? And just feeling more empowered to make decisions and not necessarily adhere to the suggestion of a supervisor has been, I think, the most rewarding aspect for me because I see empowerment and I see growth and I see confidence in someone who, who had it all to begin with, but due to this year's circumstances, we're all a little bit shaken up. So so kudos to that person. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes you, you bring up a good point um, that sometimes it is difficult to get through that barrier of this is a, an, an administrator or a leader. This is, this is somebody who evaluates me. This is someone who does my observations. And, and sometimes it is difficult for a teacher to see you in that coaching aspect. And sometimes it does take time. So um, I, I think all of you in, in one way or another 
are those visionary leaders. That's why I invited you tonight. Um, and you are also um, able to provide those either official or unofficial coaching um, abilities and experiences. So um, I want to I want to end by giving um, everybody the chance to provide one piece of final advice for those who are listening. Um, for those who are either already instructional leaders, or let's say already leaders, but are looking to be more like an instructional leader, um, or those who are aspiring to be leaders. So one piece of final advice for those interested of, um, of what they, what you think you value or what you feel that they would, would need in order to be successful. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds each, so you don't have a lot of time. I'm putting you on the spot. Um, I'm gonna go in the same order. So let's begin with Tom. 30 seconds, one piece of final advice. I think just do it. Don't wait to feel like you're gonna be good. Just do it, just get started and just do it. Maybe pick one teacher or two teachers who you have a kind of good relationship with and think of something that you could work on together and just, just do it you know, and, and the work will, will sort of create it, you know, it'll, it'll pull it together for you and just do it. Don't wait, just do it. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Elaine, what's your final piece of advice? I think my final piece of advice is just to listen to the feedback, um, provide feedback and ask for feedback. Feedback is very important because it will lead you in the right direction. Thank you. And last but not least, Nicole, your final piece of advice. Just surround yourself with people and resources that could motivate you, whether it's classmates that you connected with years ago or a really inspirational Instagram page. Constantly motivate yourself and try try something new. Thank you so much, everybody. And, and thank you. Thank you for being here with me tonight. I know how busy all of you are. And the fact that I was able to get three very um amazing leaders together in, in one conversation has meant the world to me. I know I've learned some things. Um, I, I don't know if everybody else has, but I definitely took some notes from tonight. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Nicole, you. Nicole, thank Nicole, you. Nicole, you're able to get uh, all of these folks here because you're an amazing leader yourself. So I thank, appreciate thank that. You. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, we're coming to the end of the line here, and I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in this evening on uh, Leadership Matters. Um, uh, Fran, any final words? I thought it was fascinating tonight. I really appreciate everybody's uh, perspective on things. Thank you very much, guests. All right. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. 